I was just recalling in this little sit before the talk, the first time that I um, sat here at this uh, Land of Medicine Buddha was a three-day retreat. I remember my mind being like a war zone, pretty much. Just bombs of insecurities and uh, helicopters. We were just talking about war stuff a while, and I was just I was recalling that, just feeling the internal struggle of all of it, of the mind. Of the my guardedness of life, my learned behavior, my habits, and how terrified I was if I told any of you what was happening in my mind. Just how terrified that you would just look at me like, you're foolish, you're stupid, you don't know how to meditate, you should give up now. That's what I thought, and I didn't want to give up. So I told one person, Mary Grace. And you know what she said? Oh, it's the mind just doing its thing. That's it. (laughs) End of talk. (laughs) Because really, that's it. It's just the mind doing its thing. Of course, there's more to it. I got 13 pages of notes. <laughs> we'll see what we get through. I will be using my notes because I'm really going to explore this uh, from the instructions this morning. This idea of the mind, third foundation of mindfulness. The as- one of the aspects of the aggregates. The confusions of self. And we'll see what happens. Got some cool quotes from really smart people. So the na- the title of this talk is What is Happening? Or for those Spanish speakers, Que Onda? Because <laughs> what is happening? Have you figured it out yet? That we're not our thoughts. We're not our emotions. You figure that out? I remember my first five-day retreat. I was a young adult then. And seeing the movie of my mind. And I actually saw it like those frames that you see right before like those school movies. And it was like this part of me, that part of me, this part of me. Thought, 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 thought. Not much feeling. It was mostly up here. And then Robert Hall came out and said, did you figure it out yet? We're not our thoughts. 
were not our feelings. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like it was, that's what I was experiencing all day. That there was this something more. But I was getting caught all day long, all week long. So we're seeing the movie, the magic show of mental and emotional content arising and passing away. Really, it's like this all the time. You're just paying attention now. The Buddha talked of the development of mindfulness in saying, it's better to have lived a single day seeing the rapid arising and passing away of all phenomena than to live a hundred years not seeing. So how's that going? The rapid arising and passing away of all phenomena. There are several things happening. Several things happening right now, throughout the day, from moment to moment. But we can really break them down into just a few things. Some of the what I'm going to be talking about are insights. I don't even insights. They're moments of clarity that I've had in my own retreats. Things I've heard. Things that make sense to me. This breakdown came to me one day. Because there's what's happening, right? There's what is happening. And then there's what's happening about what's happening, right? There's what's happening about what's happening. And then there's what's not actually happening at all. And then there's what's happening about what's not actually happening. <laughs> There's what's happening. And what is happening, right? There are several things. Sense contact. Eyes, ears, nose, mouth, skin, mind. Right? Then there's the feeling tones, which Dan and Bruce, you know, illuminated for us. And you've been exploring the feeling tones. Pleasant, unpleasant, neither. Which leads to then perception. That's a tricky one. We'll get back to that. Which then leads to mental fabrication. Otherwise known as proliferation of thought. Papancha, the Buddha called it. Papancha. I'll talk more about that later. I love the word papancha. It's one of my favorite words. I almost got it tattooed on me. <laughs> but then I figured, that's probably not a good thing to say. Because <laughs> I'd just be stuck in it all the time. Papancha, papancha, damn. So I decided against it. So what's, you know, what's happening about what's happening? All the thoughts, the emotions that arise based on present time experience. This is, you know, this is actually, this is like the zone. 
you can just be with what's happening and what's happening about what's happening, we're good. We're actually good. But unfortunately, the mind is not really conditioned that way or hasn't been. So what's not actually happening? Stories, hurts, mistreatments, those are deep. Fantasies, sometimes called the proliferation of thought or papancha. These stories and fantasies that we carry with us Mm. that come up. We didn't ask for them to come up, they just did. And then what's happening about what's not actually happening. Right? The feeling tones again, right? We see something, we he- we have a feeling, or a, I'm sorry, we have an emotion, or we have a, a, a memory, and then it all comes up. Anyone have that today? Please raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, me too. Because I have a mind that's not enlightened. So these feeling tones, you know, based on thoughts, past, uh, of the past, which create emotion, and when clung to, suffering. See, that's the thing. We can have thoughts about thoughts, but when we cling to them, we suffer. We were talking uh, earlier this week, there's this quote from the Buddha, we, you know, we, we have like Buddhist jokes that we talk about. And <laughs> And it, and it basically, like, if one of us, I, think, I can't remember, I think it was Bob, was clinging to something. And then uh, I or Dan said, nothing whatsoever should be clung to as me or mine. And that was the, the joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a joke, actually. It's all, oh, that was what it was. If there was one thing that we could say to you, it's not, just in the beginning of the retreat, nothing whatsoever could be clung, should be clung to as me or mine. Ring the bell. Let's sit in silence the whole week. <laughs> Cling to nothing and you'll be free. How many people had terror come up a little bit when I said that? <laughs> <laughs> to nothing? Yeah. This is the Buddhist perspective. So a quote from the Buddha. This mind, hard to control, flighty, alighting where it wishes, one does well to tame. The disciplined mind brings happiness. The mind, hard to see, subtle, alighting where it wishes, the sage protects. The watched mind brings happiness. This is from the Dhammapada. The way, I translate, the way I translate that is, this mind has a mind of its own, totally out of control, and highly inappropriate. That's the way I translate this quote. And what are we learning to do? To rein it in. To not be so lost in papancha. Caught up in the past. This is the hope. You know, in Vipassana, we're not trying to stop 
our minds from thinking. This is a misunderstanding that often is, is talked about. We're not trying to stop our minds from thinking, nor are we trying to engage with it as an enemy. This is what I did in that first three day. It was I was fighting with my mind, with all of the stuff that was coming up, and pushing away this, and grasping onto that, and that juicy pear, and that horrible memory. Painful. So instead, we're trying to befriend our thoughts and overcome our preoccupations with them. So it's not that we're not trying to think, but we're actually addicted to our thinking. We're addicted to our thinking and our grasping to our thinking. We're actually addicted to ourselves. This idea of self. I heard Gil Fronsdale say once, we have heads on top of our heads. (laughs) (laughs) We have heads on top of our heads and we think about thinking. We think about thinking. I've heard Bob say, we think about thinking about thinking. We think about doing. We do what we think. What we have a hard time with is being. This is a being program. <coughs> Mindfulness is the clear, silent awareness that we are thinking. Instead of just letting it go crazy. Which is what it, it does, right? This mind does. <coughs> My thinking. Meditation is this fierce practice in the way that it reveals the stark reality of our everyday mind. The stark reality of our everyday mind. We're constantly murmuring, muttering, scheming, wondering <laughs> to ourselves, under our breath, comforting ourselves. Our, our uh, internal life is constantly preoccupied with the voice. You know that voice? I like this. I don't like that. She hurt me. He hurt me. (coughs) They said this. They did that. If you knew my pain, all of it. I want more of this. I don't want more of that. Constant. I get tired of it. Sometimes I just get exhausted when I come to a retreat. A lot of times that's why people are so damn tired when they come to a retreat like that's where the stop comes in and then we start to feel oh shit excuse my language it might get worse (laughs) (laughs) so this is all an attempt this is our strategy it's our attempt to find pleasure and comfort but that's also that we're actually addicted to pleasure and comfort which is why we're addicted to thinking because we think that pleasure and comfort is going to give us Pleasure and comfort. But it doesn't. So we're, we're this is all an attempt for pleasure and comfort and to avoid the discomfort. Avoid the unpleasant. Right? Thoughts, emotions. At all costs. That was my... I used to say that, actually. 
avoid feeling at all costs. Internally, I would say that. No matter what. I don't feel that way anymore. Vipassana takes this untrained, everyday mind as a natural starting point. And gives a clear and systematic way of developing awareness of this process. This is what we've been doing. Breath. Breath and body. Feeling tones. Pay attention. They're important. And then now the mind. There's a reason we didn't start at the mind. Because you were already starting at the mind before you got here. And how's that working? (laughs) I mean, it's a question, right? Often people misunderstand this third foundation of mindfulness. They ask me a, a lot. Not, not it hasn't happened here, but um, it does happen. You know, am I supposed to stop thinking? Give it a try. <laughs> See how that goes. Right? Am I supposed to stop thinking, or uh, should I just ignore my thoughts? Well, we kind of say that, don't we, in the beginning? Just kind of ignore your thought, your thoughts. At first, we often say this. And this is to break the addictive cycle. Thoughts are going to come and go. Don't give them much attention. It's mostly bullshit anyway. Not all, but mostly. I call this the not now practice. I actually got this from Gil Fronsdale because I was on a retreat and I was just in my head figuring everything out. All everything that I didn't have time to figure out because I was so busy figuring everything else out when I wasn't on retreat. What's that quote Bob likes from uh, John Lennon? This is the good thing about going before Bob. I get to say all the quotes. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I knew it. John Lennon. Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. That guy was pretty smart. I only later appreciated him. So this not now practice, this is what I, I've given some of you, some of you that were in my, in my small groups or maybe individually, when, when the, just the kind of barrage of thoughts come, just not now. Not never, just not now. Bill Fronsdell gave me this uh, teaching years ago. It served me well. It's not all of it, but it's, it's, it's a good first step. So we're not saying don't, we're not saying ignore your thoughts. That's not, hopefully that, you know, your, your experience here hasn't been like uh, cut from the neck up and feel only in your heart. Although Bob might like that. But <laughs> it's really about integration, right? And see, what I think that needs to happen here, uh, and that what we're hoping to do, is that you look to see what's beneath the thoughts. The repetitive thought. The story that keeps coming up. I'm not worthy. My language is a little harsher in my own mind than I'm not worthy. But the same applies. 
So when we have thoughts, there may be an emotional undercurrent that we're not paying attention to. And so what happens? The thoughts come back. They're like a doorbell again and again and again. It's just part of the process. It's just the mind Hmm. trying to remember. What we're asking you to do is, at first, just just disregard them. And then now, here third day or whatever, you're deep in the middle of this retreat. You're in the heart. This is the heart of the retreat. I'm honored to speak to you tonight. So what's underneath? Hopefully you've been maybe exploring some of that today for yourselves. Sylvia Bornstein, uh, one of my teachers, calls this the moral inventory machine of the mind. Because in practice, it all comes up. Everything we've been avoiding, pushing away. This is a warrior practice. Warriorist practice. So we're trying to engage with this emotional kind of undercurrent. But not trying to figure it out. Some of you like to do that, don't you? If I can just get the Rubik's Cube to work in the right way, then all of my life would be perfect. Good luck. I don't say that in a bad way. But we're so used to that. If we can figure it out, because we have heads on top of our heads. This is not a cognitive process. It's experiential. This is an experiential process. So I'm going to talk about the habits of mind. Our habits of mind color our view of the world. They're habits we've developed since we were born. And from Buddhist perspective, since before we were born. We come, someone said, we come, what was it you again? We come with a package. We come with a little suitcase. We then react out of our view or our perspective. This is the way I see it. This is the the reaction. This is the view, my view. The way I view the world. If we view the world as unsafe, we are guarded or aversive. I fall under that category. If we think the world is dangerous, we better be careful. We have to be careful. Some of us grew up in maybe not the best homes. Maybe difficult situations, overbearing parents, whatever the story. We all have one. And we carry it with us. And it's painful. So our feelings influence our perceptions of how we see things. Then we create a belief based on that feeling. And I am. I am this. I am unlovable. 
This is all part of the strategy to survive and be safe. We didn't, we didn't mean for this to happen. It just happens. This is all part of the strategy to be safe and to live a happy, healthy life in the world. So this strategy has been useful. I survived. I'm sitting here today because I learned how to use this strategy really well. And it allowed me to survive. You too. Congratulations. And maybe, like me, it also began to outserve its usefulness. Right? These habits. These survival strategies, they stopped working. They actually started causing more suffering than good. Uh, I was writing a book and then I stopped because it's hard to write a book. But um, <laughs> the <laughs> but the, the there's two sections of it. I still might write it. You can steal this if you want. But it's called from surviving to thriving. Because this is the way I view the whole first part of my life. And then when I found this practice and some other practices, recovery being one, I began to have some thriving. Like a flower that didn't get any any water, any sun. So, Sometimes we uh, we get trapped in this survival strategy. Familiar, predictable, safe, and painful. Familiar, predictable, safe, and painful. We all get that way. And so we're trying to break out of that. Do something different, uncomfortable. So Habits of Mind, I want to read a quote by uh, Mahagosananda. Mahagosananda was the Gandhi of Cambodia. Mahagosananda, um, I just recently learned, I've been reading this quote, uh, attributing it to the Buddha for many years. It's actually been misattributed. And I just found out recently, G and I were on a retreat, and uh, one of the teachers gave this quote. And I, I was excited. I wrote him a note real fast. Well, are you sure it was Mahagosananda? So Mahagosananda was a monk in uh, Thailand and Cambodia during the Khmer Rouge. Khmer Rouge was the genocide. The Cambodian, the, the Cambodian people uh, started to commit or tried to commit genocide to all of the upper class. It was just a horrible atrocity that took place within within the, its own country. It was like a country killing itself. And he uh, rose up. His whole family killed. His whole village destroyed. He's one of a few left in his village, of his people. And he rose up and unified the, uh, the Cambodian people, the survivors, the um, refugees. And he said, loving kindness, compassion, they're misguided. 
They're confused. This was his message for his whole life. And he was a strong advocate for peace and nonviolence up to his dying day. Good friends with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So he had this to, th- did this to say about the mind, about thoughts. The thought manifests as word. The word manifests as deed. The deed develops into habit. Habit hardens into character. Character gives birth to destiny. So watch your thoughts with care and let it spring from love born out of respect for all beings. The Buddha said a very similar thing. Which is basically, our thoughts create the world. So watch your thoughts with care. This practice practice helps us see these patterns. And in time, learn new ways to respond rather than react to a situation. I'll tell you about one I'm dealing with currently in just a minute. I have another a poem that I also think helps to kind of elucidate this. It's by Kabir, Sufi poet. O oh mind, you carry on your back. Your actions are like a heavy sack. No wonder that your shoulders ache. Strains enough to break your neck. So drop that stupid load. This is the last stop on the road. Where you can find rest. Stay. Be love's guest. I believe that Kabir is pointing to getting beyond this kind of thinking about thinking and getting into something much more sustainable, much more freeing. This is what I believe we're all pointing to, the teachers here. This is why you're here, actually. Otherwise, why would you be here? So this awareness of mindfulness allows us to move beyond our outdated patterns of reacting out of fear, anger, resentment. We can begin to have a new way of looking at things. So I have this neighbor. And it's been difficult. We share a wall. We share a parking space. We share a mailbox. I've lived there for about three years. I've had three conversations with her. They've all not gone well. There we started to get into a bit of a banging on the wall war. (laughs) Like you're being too loud. You're annoying my house, my life, my rest. Then there was retaliation. I'll be honest, I bought her earplugs. (laughs) 
I thought it was compassionate. <laughs> she did not. <laughs> I became very reactive. I was livid. How dare you? I pay more rent. This, you know, da 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 da. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Mine, mine, mine. Came onto this retreat. Just, you know, had a another interaction right before I came on this retreat. And the first thing I, when I was meeting with the teachers, and I was like, "Oh, this roommate. I don't know. I might have to move. Or this neighbor. I might have to move. I just can't deal with it." And I was actually sick from my own reaction. I was actually like really feeling the re- the repercussions because I was in the in my mind for about a day or two. I was talking with Cynthia about it one day. She actually you were very helpful for me to get clear because I was very reactive in my mind. Very they did this to me and you know you 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 So then I, but I, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna come on a retreat, meditate for a few days. I'll be nice, I'll be okay. I actually had to go home after the first day and uh, take care of some business. There was a, a letter she had written to me, and my immediate response was um, just, yeah, just to submit, just. To not hold on to the ego of I'm right. Because I could do that for years. So I wrote a letter and I let it go. And I came on a tree back here. And I tried to be as loving and kind and gracious as I could. And we'll see what happens. But I'm cool with it. And that's all that matters, actually. Hmm. Mindfulness brings us the freedom of choice. The freedom of choice. Our thoughts are so based on rehashing, rehearsing, worry, regret, pleasure-seeking through fantasy or memory, avoiding you know, the physical pain or the emotional anguish. I actually translate suffering, dukkha, as anguish because I think that's really what it is for me, mental anguish. I also translated it as five other things, but <laughs> anguish works good for right now. Learning to let go of thoughts and our reactive habits. This is the practice of non-grasping. Like we were teasing the other day or the other day. Cling to nothing and you're free from suffering. As soon as I was clinging to my house, my my it didn't even matter what comes after the my. We're stuck. If we're not our thoughts, then what are what are they? If we are not our thoughts, then what are they? Zen master Kosho Uchiyama in uh, opening the hand of thought described them like this. 
you might try looking at all the stuff that comes up in your head as just a secretion. (laughs) All our thoughts and feelings are kind of a secretion. It is important for us to see this clearly. I've always got things coming up in my head, but if I tried... But if I tried to act on everything that came up, it would just wear me out. Secretion. <laughs> the pancreas. <laughs> the salivary glands. The mind. <laughs> I like it. This is consistent with the teachings of the Buddha regarding the aggregate. All mental formations, wholesome or unwholesome, are dependent upon perception, which includes memory and can lead to grasping or aversion, which can result in mental anguish. Dukkha. So we haven't really talked about the aggregates or the five kinds of stuff. Or as my friend uh, Noah Levine likes to call them, the piles. Because <laughs> really we're just piles of stuff from the Buddhist perspective. I'm going to go through them quickly. I'm not going to break them down because that's a whole five talks. And I have 15 minutes. Material form. Our physical form, the internal, external, created, uh, kind of everything is the element. Material form. Everything in the material world fits under material form. Feeling tones. You guys know about this. You've been exploring deeply. The sense impressions of pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. The crux of the issue. The cause. depending Depending on how we react or respond. The cause of suffering... Or freedom. I think you'll hear more about that in the future. But don't think about it. (laughs) Perception. Discerning the qualities of things, including recognition and memory. Perception is recognition and memory. That's really it. Mental formations. This is what we're talking about. It's our current topic. Thoughts and emotions. All intentional or unintentional thoughts. You had an unintentional thought today, anyone? (laughs) (laughs) Stories, fantasies of self or identity. All the stuff that comes up in the mind, pretty much. Mental formation. Uh, Tom Jeff likes to call it mental fabrication, which I actually really like, fabrication. Fabricated. Like fabricating a car. To make it special. Consciousness, awareness through contact between the other piles of stuff or the sense door. Right? So sound, ear, light, eye. The knowing of experience. Consciousness, the knowing of experience. Ajahn Sumedho uh, defines it like this. Consciousness is the reality of here and now. Period. I believe in. Mental form? I'm sorry. Material form? 
material form? Buddhist perspective, that's all there is. Not fixed, not permanent, always changing. There's no, in nowhere is there an I, a me, or a mine. Yeah, we like to create one, don't we? So the other day, there was this bird out here. Was the first or second day? Thresh. Yeah, the, what's it called? A herring thrush? Hermit thrush. Yeah. It was a pretty sounding bird. <laughs> <laughs> and what came up in my mind was pleasant. Well, actually, it was, didn't really come in the mind. It came here. Sound, hearing, pleasant. <clears throat> And then it would fade away, and then it would come back and fade away. And it was kind of like, it, for, at first, you know, for the first day or so, it was just nice. You know, I just liked it. It would come, it would go, it would come, it would go. Then there would be a squeaky door, unpleasant. And then what happened the other day, as I heard it, and in my mind popped, because it would go, right, like that. You guys remember that bird? I'm going to give this to you. Legend of Zelda. My childhood favorite game. You would travel to this fl- to this flute. You get a flute, and then whenever you wanted to switch to a different world, so this is Papancha. I was lost in my childhood, back in the game. Every time they come up, three days ago. <laughs> the beautiful part about it was recognizing ah papancha and then letting it go and not having judgment about it not beating myself up about I'm the meditate I was sitting right here I'm the meditation teacher I should have this all figured out by now <laughs> <laughs> In meditation, you know, we're replaying sights, sounds, memories, songs. And then we're associating them with our present time experience. Usually this happens so fast that we have no idea until we're lost in a story. I heard the Dalai Lama uh, say that thoughts are so fast that they're faster than the speed of light. And he's pretty scientific. (laughs) But here in the laboratory of this retreat, right, we're able to become more aware and it's easier to notice. So we're beginning to see. And they actually, I think that 
because we're doing the one thing, at least we're supposed to be doing the one thing, which is being present time here now, with whatever's arising, that we begin to become very fine-tuned. Our minds become fine-tuned. It's just a beautiful thing, actually. It's why it's so rare. That's why I was so happy when you came. I get emotional. I always blame my mom. (laughs) She's Italian. We're emotional. So in this laboratory, we get to see it a little easier. I was on retreat once, a few years ago, longer retreat. And I started to pay attention in the way that you guys are starting to pay attention to this process. Feeling tone, thought formation, actually seeing it, which can be helpful. And then I started to see another piece, which I call the train of thought. Other people, I think, call it the train of thought. But these trains of these trains of thought are actually selves of thought, because what I noticed that happened, and I had this like visual thing of sitting in a train station, and then a whole series of thoughts of stories would un- would unwind, and they would form a train, and I would get on that train. It was the train of uh, being a good man. And then it would take off. And I was nowhere to be seen. Lost in a train. And then I, re- I, would, re- I would remember. Mindfulness. Sati. Someone, one of the guys said it the other day. is really translated as remembering. To come back. Right here. And then another one, I, I, I'm a martial arts teacher as well. So then I had this teacher and a therapist, therapist, and a brother, brother, and a student, student, selves being created. And it usually was about being good or not good, great, the best, the worst. Sometimes even just as a yogi, I was a yogi self. I'm the best yogi there is. I can walk so slow. (laughs) I don't even look like I'm moving. (laughs) I can eat so slow. (laughs) Self. Some people call it spiritual pride. It's just another... Fantasy. Because we're all just doing the best we can. Because wouldn't we do the best we can? How could we do any better than how we're doing? But we believe that we could. Because there's always this should or could. It's dangerous. But what's the fine line, right? The fine line. Right effort, right mindfulness, right compassion, 
right care. Jack Cornfield calls this uh, selfing the top ten tunes of the mind. Top ten tunes. I'm this, I'm that. The brother. The whatever. And they keep coming back. They're themes. It takes time. If you haven't seen the themes, it's okay. Just see the thoughts and recognize them as not you. Okay, I have to move on. So I was thinking about uh, that, you know, this can be like being in a movie, right? When we're sitting here watching our thoughts, our breath. Even when we're trying to pretend to watch our breath, we're actually watching our thoughts, watching our breath. Sometimes we can actually get to, ah, just breath. Just breath. And if we can bring that awareness, turn that awareness inward, to this what's happening experience instead of what's not happening or what's happening about what's not happening. Then this really seems to make a lot of sense and we start to have that peace, that ease. Beautiful. Papancha. I already kind of talked about it, but I'll I'll tell one more story because I like this one. So there's some selfing in it. <laughs> so I was on retreat in Thailand. Grueling retreat. No fun. This is luxurious. Wat Swan Mok. In case you've been there. Cement floor, open air, tons of mosquitoes. Really early morning. Beautiful eighth day or something so I was you know levitating in my mind (laughs) maybe it wasn't the eighth day maybe it was the fifth day and I'm sitting early morning which you know it's difficult but I was getting good at it because I'm a a super yogi (laughs) so I was getting good at it and I'm sitting there and I'm like oh so just in the breath in the moment it's beautiful and then this Smell comes right along here. <laughs> Every day we had for breakfast rice gruel. Not even as good as the oatmeal you guys have with fruits and stuff. Uh uh-uh. Rice gruel. <laughs> I don't think the Thai really do breakfast. <laughs> so I start smelling something. What is that? Back to the breath. Okay, breathing, being here, yeah. And then banana pancakes comes into my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Banana trees all over, right? Pancakes, what, they're vegan? I mean, they're vegetarian at least, right? So I'm lost for like 20 minutes thinking about (laughs) banana pancakes and how they're going to be so good and, oh, maybe there's butter and syrup and... Mm. I don't feel anything about my body. I'm totally disconnected. I'm, I'm actually at the dining hall, which is like down this little path. Barely can stand it because I just know there's pain. There's pain. I don't want to be first in line. <laughs> the bell rings. I jump up out of my seat. Go 
Well, fast walking, right? I was like walking very mindfully, quickly, and get there, smelling banana pancakes, imagining the whole time I get there, rice gruel. And then I started. There was like this anger about the what was the, about what was not actually happening. And then I, I just laughed. Because I caught myself, you know, before I totally blew up and was like, where's my banana pancake? <laughs> yeah. This was some years ago, though. I was new to practice. <laughs> hmm. Quote by Ajahn Moon. In your investigation of the world... Never allow the mind to abandon the body. Examine its nature. See the elements that comprise it. See the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When it's true, the heart sees nature fully, lucidly. The wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine, timeless and delivered. Ajahn Moon. <laughs> Never allow the mind to abandon the body. Jill talked about uh, recognize. Allow or accept. Investigate. Non-personalize. Don't take it personal. I like uh, John Kabat-Zinn's way of doing that. Shit happens. All things change. Don't take it personal. Same thing. There's this investigate. So there's knowing and then there's the investigation quality. Thoughts, feelings, emotions. What's happening? What's happening about what's happening? Recognizing that. And even recognizing what's not actually happening and saying, not now. Not now. Accept, allow. I'm big on allow. I didn't used to be. I used to be really unable to allow anything other than what I could exactly control. Which was nothing, actually, except for my reaction. But I didn't know that before. This this has been a transforming experience. This understanding Buddhist thought and practice. It's not your thought, just thought. It's not your emotion, just emotion. Who here doesn't have thoughts? Who here doesn't have emotions? They're not yours. They're just what is. We want to personalize it though. We just do. Ajahn Chah. I'll just say this and I won't get into it because i got to end. So Ajahn Chah had this to say about why we suffer. 
Took prot kick pit. <laughs> you guys get that? No. Took prot kit pit. We suffer because wrong thinking. Not because not we suffer because thinking. We suffer because where our attention is going around our thinking. If we can understand collect correctly, we will end suffering. I don't really have time to unpack that more, but I have a feeling that someone will talk about that in the future. Maybe. We are in reality. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so although we imagine ourselves to be a self, a real substantial individual, according to the Buddhist teaching, we are in reality nothing more than a flame-like process. Our minds are just like a flame-like process. <laughs> ever-changing combination of matter and mind, neither of which is the same for two consecutive moments. Totally all dying, right as it's being born. All components of our being are impermanent. All components of our being are impermanent, unsatisfactory, and devoid of a solid, fixed self. There is actually no doer, only a doing. No thinker, only a thinking. No goer, only a going. But as always, don't take my word for it. Don't take anything that we say as truth. See for yourself. It's the power of this practice. You can't just read it in a book. You have to do the practice. You have to free yourself. Who else is going to? Thank you for your time and attention. Let's just sit for one minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.